And welcome to another episode of Two Medics and One Mic. Your presenters are Imran Lasker and Thrusha Gudwatna. So hello and welcome to another episode of the Two Medics podcast. My name is Dr. Lasker. I'm a consultant radiologist. Hi, I'm Thrusha Gudwatna. I'm a cardiology registrar, subspecializing in intervention. And we have a very special guest with us today. This is someone that I've actually met physically off of Twitter. I actually met them when they came down to London. We've also been on their podcast because they've got their own podcast called The Echo Chamber. Please introduce yourself. Hi, it's me, Farbod, your friendly neighborhood emergency physician. Or emergency bod on, on Twitter is from what I can see. Yeah, it's a lot of bod going on on your particular on your particular profile name and on the Twitter thing. And speaking <laughs> of bod, see, speaking of bod, uh, far bod. When we when we met up, you were you were showing me a few pictures, weren't you? You know, you were showing me a few shirtless pictures. <laughs> Excuse me, <laughs> mate. If you've got it, flaunt it. Is what I say. <laughs> Farbod is, uh, you know, we talk about going to the gym, but mate, Thrusha, you should check out this guy's Instagram. He's um, I mean, there's quite the transformation this man has had uh, over the last few years. This is a, a, a prime specimen uh, that we have in front of us today. <laughs> I saw some videos of you rowing. You were like rowing loads. Yeah, that was a challenge I did in February for a local charity here called To Wish Upon, um, who helps support uh, the families of young people and children who tragically die. Um, and the uh, charity owner, or owner founder is uh, this marvelous woman called Rian, and she lives locally, and we know her through her work in the hospitals and things. So, uh, because of COVID, all of the donations have been, you know, relatively dried up. So I thought, just for the sake of it, I would do a five-kilometer row every day in February, and I called it February, very uh, labored pun. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, like it, yeah like so I did five k <laughs> a day, and put it out there for donations and raised nearly three grand so that was really uh quite nice yeah well done man wow well, well done. done man uh, you know what i just anything to do cardio i think through the same as me anything cardio is just too uncomfortable for me me i hate it as well that's why it was a proper challenge i hate i, I absolutely hated yeah. it <laughs> i mean that constant being uncomfortable is just not a nice feeling wouldn't you say and that kind of almost sort of brings us on to one of the tweets of this week when we i think um we had a good friend of ours chris who was tweeting about his uh, discomfort when it came to uh, wearing wearing masks? Is that right, through show? Is that what was going on? Yeah, I think that I guess that what we're realising uh, is, is that uh, there's certain trigger words for Twitter that will just send people just absolutely balmy, and one of those things that people feel very strongly about um, wearing masks. Um, and uh, so he just tweeted, just saying it was uncomfortable all day, and uh, then basically. He just got quite a lot of response, didn't he? And then he had to like apologise. I've actually got like a mask-related story from today, which is really, really weird. But I don't know if I should share it now. Or I not. think you like, should but... share. It. I mean, we always love a good it's story. It's so but... weird. It's so yeah. weird. Basically, uh, okay. So like, so today I did back right. So I was at the gym mm. and mm. Uh, had a really good sesh. It was awesome. And mm. uh, I was just about getting ready to hit the shower. You're gonna get people excited again, Drusha. Stop <laughs> it. <laughs> anyway, so like, um, so I was taking my clothes off. I didn't have my mask on, oh. and you know, like, I just glanced. Yeah, obviously. Uh, and I was just glanced around to make sure that, you know, proximity was fine. I saw two guys in the corner of the room. They're both wearing their masks. So I sat down there, which is weird. They're probably waiting for someone or something, I thought to myself. And then, you know, like in, in the gym changing rooms, you always like have like music or whatever. There's like house music. And I hear this guy like singing along as he came to the changing room. And this guy is stacked. Yeah, literally. And he's like kind of like um, vocalizing along. It's really weird. And uh, so I was like, that's a bit weird. Now, this guy's like Johnny Bravo. He's like V-shaped, although he's probably a few... A few like cuts uh, short of a Johnny Bravo. Anyway, he's singing along. 
Yeah, yeah, so I was a bit like, oh, but he's, he's stacked. And you know, because he was like singing, I was like, oh, maybe he's like had his pre-workout supplement and he's just like caffeinated up. But actually, it was supposed, that was the first warning sign and I should have got onto that. Because then he starts going, he goes, Charlie, Charlie, Charlie. And these like guys at the other end of the room. And they obviously don't say anything because there's no Charlie in there. I don't know who Charlie is. But then he goes, oh, I can't, rec- oh, uh, sorry, mate. I just can't recognize people with their masks on. Oh, you know, like gov- the government have got people all kind of like afraid and like, you know, it's got like sheep. Well, I'm, more, I'm a way like more intelligent than that. And he, and then he goes, turns to me, right? Because I'm not wearing a mask. And so you obviously <laughs> must think that like we have that in common that we're both like, I don't know, kindred idiots or something right so he, goes, <laughs> he goes like what do, what do you think about that and i'm like dude what are you on about and i literally said like look and i said why are you giving them a hard time about wearing i, I said like why are you giving them a hard time about wearing masks and he's like oh you know because i just think there's like no like evidence for it and all this and i'm like oh look and then i go well, opinions are a bit like assholes right everyone's got an asshole but you don't need to show it you share it with everyone <laughs> and then I'm like, and I walk, I walk into the shower and I'm like, oh my God, what have I done? Like, I'm shaking. I'm like, oh, I've got to shower really quickly because he's probably going to like leave a turd on my stuff or, you know, just like destroy it. And I can hear him talking to those guys. And then he walks into the shower next to me. I'm like, oh my God. Mm. So then I like run, I run out and I'm like trying to put my clothes on really fast, but I'm like a bit wet. So I can't get my shorts on. <laughs> <laughs> like, and then he comes out. And I'm like, that's the quickest shower ever. Oh my God. And then he starts talking to me again. He's like, oh, you know, what do you think about it all? And I'm like, mate, look, I'm a doctor. And it's real like the fear is real like you know so just let, let people like live their lives and he's like i've just got some questions for you and i'm like mate save your questions for google i said mm. oh like i don't i don't like uh you know i don't trust all that you know what i want to do is just like speak to people face to face and you know you speak to different people and you get different opinions and different dialects i'm like dialects what's your different answer anyway then <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so then I'm like, and he's like, you know, I just want to speak to people face to face. And I'm like, look, conducting a conversation in a gym changing room, though, I just don't think that's the like, right forum for this. And then like, <laughs> he's just like, look, you know, I just thought because you're a doctor, like you'd have a bit of like compassion. And I'm like, mate, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Look, oh, you know, you should, you should just save, save your opinion, mate. I'm like, but, and then like, at this point, I've got my clothes on and I'm like, uh, yeah, well, like, I hope this whole like gym changing room conversation <laughs> thing works out for you and then I like left and you Imran you might see on your phone like a missed call because as soon as I like, left the gym I was like oh my god I'm gonna tell Imran oh my god this is so mental what the hell's just happened sorry I had to share that because it was so weird so weird. that is that is weird I mean have you guys had similar experience Farbod have you had experiences of because you work in emergency medicine that's correct mm-hmm. right so you you probably get a fair few um people with differing opinions about well, this coquettes. entire mass situation yeah, yeah. yeah? I mean they, 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 they <laughs> you get those opinions as well uh but you must probably have a fair few interesting characters coming in and out of the, uh, not the changing rooms, but the, uh, the A&E yeah. department. What do you think? Yeah, do you get any people with cards, like laminated cards that say I'm exempt? Oh, yeah. get we, we, get, we get the exempt people coming in who then uh, promptly go outside and, uh, you know, light up a cigarette. Yeah, you know, I can't, I can't mm. wear a mask because it affects my breathing, but I'm happy to go outside and puff on a cigarette. Yeah, we get plenty of people like that. Um, I probably shouldn't, decency probably should... Uh, avoid me from actually mentioning anything like that. But yeah, I, I, I agree with you though, uh, Therusha, like a gym, a gym changing room is like a men's room. All right. Unless you really <laughs> know someone well, you do yeah, not talk, talk to, them. to them. Okay. Mm. It's, it, there is absolutely mm. no talking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But what's interesting about that thing that happened to you through show is that expectation of that person's expert. There's two things, right? First of all, it's that, that guy, 
he thinks that he he's got a valid opinion and as you said with your comments that you know he <laughs> you don't have to share certain opinions because there's other parts of your anatomy you don't need to be showing around i'm never going to actually say it. i don't think i could ever say it but um <laughs> but the thing is like it does bring us on to what quite an interesting tweet about like you know patient letters being shared with patients right so mm. the way we communicate with one another is something that's going to be shared with patients and when you've got the situation where you know you get people who say they've got uh, an educated opinion but i mean it sounds bad but you don't have the education to back that opinion up you know what i mean like you got to have to you got to come from somewhere to be able to understand certain things and so i know that from my job when i'm doing reports i know that i'm communicating with another health professional so if i say that there's something going on then i kind of expect you guys to know what's happening and what you guys need to do but if i've got to take into consideration the fact that a patient might be reading that then i'm gonna to have to be much more verbose than i usually am and also a bit more, I don't know, weighted, I suppose, because I know that they're not going to understand what, what is worth looking into and what isn't worth looking into. I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, how do you feel about this, this thing that's happening? Well, in my opinion, the thing is, it always brings me back to certain things I read um, when I was younger. And it takes me back to this quote from Ludwig, Ludwig Wittgenstein which is, language is the limit of my thought. I can only think what I have words for. And mm -hmm. I've considered this a long time in my profession, uh, and it is a professional thing. For example, if any one of us stood next to two senior engineers talking about the construction of a bridge, we would probably find it quite hard to stay with it, even with our level of education, mm -hmm. because they'll, they'll be using jargon, they'll be using industry terms, they'll be using abbreviations that we're unfamiliar with, and that's part of becoming a professional. You know, most professionals have an extra five to 10,000 words they know as part of the jargon they learn. And, mm. you know, we use words in a very specific way, and we use them in a way which is important to minimize um, a lack of understanding. So our definition of certain words is very specific. So if I say oxygenation to someone mm -hmm. uh, who is a professional, I would expect them to understand what I mean. Um, like if it's in the context of critical care, I want them to know that when I say I can oxygenate the patient, they need to know that what I'm saying there is I am able to maintain sats above 90 on 15 liters of oxygen. Okay, mm. but that's not exactly mm. the same. Even within our profession, that won't necessarily be the same because the context is important as well. And expecting mm. patients to be able to then fit into it with no formal training, I think, is mm. you know, it, it, it's only going to lead to misunderstandings and misrepresentations. And you know, mm. it, the communication for patients should be very specifically for patients and communications between professionals should be just that between professionals exactly i mean interestingly you know i think last week i i opened up a little bit more and i was talking about my father getting stage four lymphoma and it was a very very difficult time for myself and my family and um, i remember my parents had a blood test book and inside that book they the doctors were writing or whoever was writing the blood the blood results as the weeks went on with the chemotherapy and my mum got really excited with me and she opened the book and said imran you've got to check this out i think he's getting better and it was like something really minor it was like a white cell count or something it, it was just something that had nothing to do with anything mm. but she or for, for her it was just a number going down so a number going down must mean it's a good thing because that must mean the cancer's leaving mm. And I didn't say anything to her because I didn't want her to feel, you know, she was putting hopes on things that she didn't understand and she was putting hopes on whatever she thinks, thinks that she could. And so I didn't want to break that. But it just made me realize, like, 
You know, when a patient is the recipient of, you know, illness, they're looking for something, you know, they're either going to look for an answer or they're looking for something to make themselves feel better. Yeah. And this is a dangerous place to be when we're starting to, I don't think they understand. I know it seems like a good idea, exactly like Farbold is saying. It seems like, you know, there are, prof there are professional conversations. Yeah. And it's nice to think that it's good to be transparent and we should be. But I think there is that real possibility of complete misunderstandings, like I saw on a very smaller level from my side, but can be much more, much, much larger, you know, and I think yeah. we've all seen it with miscommunication yeah. between patients, haven't we? Yeah. Yeah. It makes me think about, you know, there's times where even as a junior doctor on the ward and then you'd, you'd come across a scan result um, mm. of a patient and perhaps you weren't expecting it or whatever. And it says, I don't know, primary lung tumor or something. And the thing mm. is, is that I remember there being like intense pressure from the nurses. Like this person's literally just come back from the scan. You need to tell them, they need to know. And you're like, mm. the scan has shown something that's been there probably for mm. a little while, but I could go and tell them, yes, your, uh, your x-ray or your CT shows uh, a lung mm. tumor. But the, the question that they want to answer, ask you next is, well, what are you going to do about it? And the, I don't mm. have the answer to that, right? Mm. So yeah, like we, we suddenly then have this feeling like, oh, we've got this information that we need to share with them. But actually, mm. like what, you, have, you have to be able to kind of deal with the aftercare. Yeah. And it's the aftercare that's a problem, isn't it? Like patients, when they mm. see the diagnosis, well, they're like, oh my God. And that's a problem, isn't it? I've got, I've got a story that um, highlights this really nicely. It was told to me many years ago, um, and it's about using correct terminology to patients, especially in mm. situations like breaking bad news. Obviously, in the emergency department, we unfortunately get it quite a lot where we have to break bad news. And this was a story that was relayed to me about a medical registrar that had to break bad news to a grief-stricken widow who had just become widowed. The husband had come in in cardiac arrest and despite the efforts of the paramedics and the emergency team um they passed away and then this medical registrar was explaining to the wife uh, a lady in her mid-60s and said i'm very sorry to say that um, he has died after having a massive myocardial infarction mm. and then goes on gives a you know apologizes and you know gets these bits and pieces but as medical registers do they get called away mm. they get called away they're walking away um maybe 10 15 minutes later they're walking past and the woman's in the corridor and she's on the telephone clearly talking to someone on the telephone and explaining what had been explained to her as well and she's on the phone and she says yes yes i'm afraid he's dead yeah it, it was a massive internal fart Oh no! Oh, oh no! no. That's so. Oh, that's so. That's so. Like that's the thing. Like the language, and oh, it's just terrible, isn't it? Just uh... you have to be wary of what you're saying. This is why using jargon is so inappropriate in those situations. This is why when we teach people to you know break bad news, you don't use technical terms and you say very clearly they have died it's not that they've passed away it's not that they've gone mm. away <laughs> you know it's not that they've passed on yeah, passed on yeah. to where have they gone to itu no they have died no. these words are really important to use um and again avoiding jargon is very important I mean, Therusha, you're, you're, this is your bread and butter, isn't it? My my cardio infarctions. I mean, even yeah. when Farbold was saying it, I was like, "Well, who would who would speak to someone like that?" I don't. I mean, mm. it just seems it's ridiculous, isn't it? I think we kind of sometimes use language to protect ourselves. 
So, yeah, it, it's difficult, isn't it? Like you're trying to, I think part of the reason why people might use jargon is to try and make themselves seem like they've got some sort of authority, right? Like I think yeah, I've been absolutely. in that situation where I've gone and said something about, you know, contrast reaction, you know, contrast and, you know, like, um, you know, something jargony. And I realized, oh, I've, you know, it now makes me seem like the professional in the room and I need to kind of reel, reel it back a bit and say, actually, you know what? Um, I don't need to be like that. I need to sort of bring it back a level and try and explain what's mm. going on. But, you know, it's, it's his use of words that makes such a big difference. And actually, Tarek um, highlighted uh, someone that we've had, we have spoken about before. And um, this person is on TikTok and he does these videos. Through, do you remember yeah. this guy? We've seen him before. Yeah. What in the video, he, what's he, what did he call it? You know, the changeover time. What did he call it? Uh, I can't actually remember, but it's like death of like, death, was it Killing Fields or something? Killing like Season. This person on, on TikTok has got quite a big following. We're not sure whether he's really a doctor. And I think we've spoken yeah. about him before because he was talking about pain scales and how you can spot. I know we could, uh, he was talking about people who are fitting and how you could spot, you could spot someone who's fake yeah. fitting. Yeah. And so that upset a few people. But this time he's saying, you know, um, killing seasons upon us because we've got, you know, change over time. Junior dogs are going to come in and they're going to kill people. And that kind of stuff going out to, to people is not really, that's not very... Um, it's frankly untrue, though, isn't it? It's it's frankly untrue. Like junior doctors come yeah. in and they're heavily they're heavily supervised. I mean, God, like most of them will come like in the first couple of weeks and they'll be asking you about you know what the doses of paracetamol. Understandably, not because they don't know it, but because they feel so nervous. Like they're not mm. going to be making like life and death decisions. Like it just Absolutely. it's just complete. This guy is just saying stuff for clicks. Yeah, it's not like Grey's Anatomy where the surgical F2s are receiving you know traumas outside and taking them straight to theatre. This is. Yeah. The only the only surgical F2 is taking my patient to the lab is Benton. That's it. <laughs> no one else. Well, you know, I mean, Farbod, I think, you know, when you're coming into, you know, when I was doing my um, A&E placement, um, I remember I was like an F2 going into A&E and it was the first time in my entire life where I was taking a patient in, you know, mm -hmm. seeing them and potentially discharging them without having anyone mm -hmm. else there. And that, that is a scary thing, isn't it? It's a lot of responsibility to be taking on. And I like to think that we're pretty well supported, aren't we, when we when we have that kind of situation, don't we? Well, you should be. Um, I know that when well, people yeah, come to I my was, department, yeah. um, I expressly make sure I personally speak to each of the juniors that are coming in, and I, you know, I'm relatively gregarious whilst at work. I may be misanthropic out of work, but mm. uh, in work, I like to think that I'm quite approachable, and I always make sure that they are happy to be able to come and speak to me and ask me any questions. And I specifically say to them every single time, every single cohort of, of uh, juniors that come in, I say, ask questions. If you're asking me questions, I'm not going to be worried about you. If you're not asking me mm. questions, I'm going to be keeping a very close eye on you because it's the people who yeah. don't ask are the ones that make mistakes. And, you know, if they make mistakes, it's just more paperwork for me and I just really can't be dealing with that. <laughs> and do, yeah. do you call them my trainees? Do you see there was a tweet about that, wasn't it? I did, yeah. I mean, the language around it is very difficult, isn't it? Because it's pretty much ingrained into us. Um, I try to speak to them um, at the same level, except it's very difficult because they are junior in the sense of their experience, you know, and they have to understand that as flat as we want to make the hierarchy in the emergency department, they probably burden the highest risk. 
So actually, mm. it's really important that they know what the chain of command is. Not to say that I can overrule them and say that, you know, they're, they're children or whatever. We have to work together, but they have to know where to go, in which order they go in. And they have to also know that if they don't necessarily, if, if they're given advice, say, from an SHO or a registrar of a different specialty or within our own specialty, and they're not comfortable with it, they have to know that they can then actually go to the next level and say, Father, I've been told to do this, but I'm not really sure. And then it comes, you know, it behoves us as their seniors who've just basically, what I mean by senior, seniority is just a, a advance of experience, really. And it's always a function of experience, these decisions. Mm. We can tell to them, actually, no, I understand where the registrar or whatever has come from. This is the correct way to do it. If you're not sure, let's check this, let's do that. Or I can say, no, actually, I'm, I'm glad that you've brought it to me. This has been, this is a good thing to have highlighted. Let's go and sort it out together. Um, and yeah, I don't call them my trainees. They are, they are our doctors. They are our junior grade doctors. But like I said, the junior is not to infantilize them at all. And I think that's really important. I always make this point as well, that, you know, you're, you are all adults, you have higher degrees, you have done self-directed learning for years, you know, you mm. are, and especially the F2s that are coming in at that point, we do have F1s who are very closely monitored in the supernumerary, but especially when our F2s come in and say, look, you now have a professional registration. These things mean something, um, mm. both to you and to the department. Um, mm. And so it's really important that you understand the mechanisms that are in place not just to mitigate your risk but actually to mitigate the risk against the patient but it works both ways because I noticed I mean I, I mean I still feel like I'm not really consultant and I've noticed that you know sometimes the reg is taking a phone call and then you know they might be getting grief from the emergency medicine doctor I can't imagine that would happen <laughs> and then they say I'm gonna just pass on to my consultant and they will pass on the phone to me and I'm oh. looking around the room thinking like who are you talking about and then like, oh me okay of course yes yes it's me yes yes and then you know i normally just let it through because i can't bother the paperwork either but it's interesting actually because ajay had a simple like interesting thing where he was talking about how do you how do you refer to a group of people and actually you know i remember thinking this is the first time that came up in my own life is when i was working in the uni gym because that's what I used to do in reception. And um, I think a group of people had come, come, I'd let some people in and I realized I hadn't given them all a key to get into the locker. And I said, hey guys, wait. And they all turned around and the, and the girl that was working with me said, why do you just call them guys? They're not all guys. Some of, those, some of them were girls. And I thought, oh yeah, I never thought of that. I've always just said guys. So Ajay was asking pretty much the same question. What is the appropriate thing to, to call someone, a group of people, especially if they're, you know, girls and guys? Is it guys? Yeah. Girls? Girls and guys? Oh, what do you say? Mates? Is that, what's an appropriate thing? Because he got a little bit of grief, didn't he, through here? Yeah. Well, some people like, uh, the thing is, I think it was a good question. Some people kind of like mm. ridiculed the question, but then the fact that there are so many people commenting on it with different answers shows that it was a good question. Um, mm. And I thought, I thought guys would be all right, but then I'm I'm completely off like with the way that I refer to people. Like I call girlfriends mate and bro. I've called Joe mm. dude. Like I mean, <laughs> uh, I just whatever homes. Yeah, be, <laughs> bread bin. Like I love it, and I feel I I'm all about kind of just removing the attachment of like gender to. Like I quite, I want to reclaim the word sassy. I feel like men should be could be sassy as well. Like I want to be sassy. I want people to refer yeah, to me as sassy. sassy. 
I am sassy. Yes. <laughs> there you go. Uh, there you go. I want to reclaim it because like it's generally used for kind of like you know uh, toddler girls, and I'm like, no, why can't I can't why can't I be sassy? So I kind of think about it in that way, but obviously people take it very. Uh, <laughs> but people take it quite personally. What do you what do you use, Harbert? Uh, I always used to use guys, but I uh, appreciate actually. It was it, again like Imran said. I it, it became a thing, and I didn't realize it was a thing, mm. and. As much as I want to keep using it, because I don't use it as gendered, but the point is, it's it's not up to me. You know, mm-hmm. people hear it as gendered, and there's plenty of non-gendered words that we can use. Like mm-hmm. I said um, earlier, comrade is a perfectly mm-hmm. reasonable one that we use in emergency medicine all the time. <laughs> um, uh, plebs, in fact, folks, plebs. peasants, oh, all of oh, these yeah. things, you know. Oh. I remember, like, there was a Reggie called called the um, the F ones her minions, which was really horrible. Uh, I remember Imran yeah. at the end of a podcast, you actually said "hello team," which I quite like. I quite like yes team. team. Yeah, yeah, I like team. I, I actually I do say that a lot. I say that on emails actually, and on our um, actually a lot of our our mailing list, I do actually call them team because I feel like yeah, they're part of the journey, they're part of our team, man. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, they're all yeah. part of this big the bigger community that we're sort of ended up building, and so yeah, I like team a lot. It means that you know we're all working together. And mm. I try, I try, I do try and use that, especially in written terms as well when I'm emailing different people in the department yeah. and, and things like that. But um, Teams is nice. It's inclusive, isn't it? Is it the French? They've got like Mademoiselle or something. Is that what they say yeah. when they walk in? Mademoiselle. And say, That's quite, maybe we should say that. Maybe we should start using that instead. Just be, be more like the French in, in some ways. Would Mesdames you and Messieurs. <laughs> yeah. Mesdames and Messieurs. Yeah, something like that would be, uh, would be probably a, a nice way to go. Um, yeah, so what else has been going on this week? So we had a, a, I mean, there was a fair, you know, when we started the week, we thought we'd be talking a lot about this consultant pay rise thing that was going on. Do we remember mm. this coming? I think it was very, very early in the week. BBC News, NHS pay, England senior doctors could take industry action. So I guess we've got two consultants here and someone with some opinions that may or may not matter. Trusha. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, but I mean, what do we think? What, what do you think is happening here? There's a lot going on, isn't there? And there was a lot of like uh, shots being fired. Like people were talking about mm. CEA, CEAs. Is it CEAs? Mm. I was like, I thought yeah, that yeah. was like some kind of cancer marker, but apparently that's actually a good thing in some some cases. And like, uh, there, and then there was <laughs> some like ITU consultant who was like saying, "Oh no, I couldn't, I couldn't strike." And then people were like, "Oh, you're this and this and that." It was just all over mm. the place. People talking about the BMA. I didn't know what to think other than. Like it seemed to be like the overriding theme was that it made ve- people very uncomfortable talking about pay. Right, that's what we were mm. kind of talking about before. But I've noticed this as well in my life so far. In that, like people never like to talk about these things. But like I said in another podcast, I, I do believe it's one of the biggest and most important things out there beyond staying alive. It's one of the biggest things that you know all of us are worried about: pay, where you're going to get paid, where your money's come from, how you're going to pay your bills, and it's very, very important to get as sassy as you can with all of that yeah. stuff as soon Savvy. as possible. Savvy, maybe, yeah, maybe that's the word I'm trying to say. But um, I do, I do think it's important. But I, I mean, you know, Farboard, you were saying that, you know, we were, I was saying why, why do, why do doctors find it so difficult to talk about? But like, what is that about, Farboard? And you were saying that there is actually some historical value to this. Yeah, there, it, it's, it, there's some historical precedent, and mm. I was talking about the separate roles that uh, in the middle in the Middle Ages that doctors had, and there was the role of the doctor or the physician that would come in and would be very scholarly, and wouldn't touch the patient and would take the history and provide the prescription, and walk out with his uh, nose in the air, 
And then immediately mm-hmm. following would come the apothecary, uh, who was hired by the doctor and would do the actual administration of the treatment, you know, mixing the formulas, creating the enema, applying it, and then would do the most dirty task, and that was actually present the bill. So, because, uh, again, it was considered to be above the doctor to uh, talk about money or to handle money. Uh, but, of mm-hmm. course... They still love the money. (laughs) (laughs) Everything you described up until the presenting of the bill sounded like the F1's job, didn't it? Like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) or or did you say, okay, like write it all down and I'll prescribe it on the drug chart and sound like the F1? (laughs) Yes, I'll examine the patient and then uh, you can do the PR. Can you imagine if the F1 had to, like, you know, yeah, exactly, do the PR or something and then end up having to present the bill? (laughs) (laughs) Or the other hand. (laughs) <laughs> oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, man, things have changed, haven't they? But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, you, I mean, the, the point is, like, we're almost embarrassed to... I mean, some of us are embarrassed to ask for more, yeah. you know, more money for the for the work that we do. And some of us are thinking, well, hang on, you know, we're doing a very important job. Mm, and yeah. why, why shouldn't we get paid for more more for what we do? But, but it is all about, it's all about how you, uh, how you present it. Because are we actually asking yeah. for more money? Or are we asking for money in line with inflation? Because actually, that's what sure. we're really asking for. We're asking to not be I'm poorer. Not. That's all it is. I would love <laughs> yeah. to have more money, actually, like, at the end of the month as well, to be able to do stuff. But what I, what I really find it difficult to reconcile is that at the end of the month, year on year, less and less seems to be, you know, it doesn't seem to be going as far. Um, mm. And that's really what we're, the, the argument should be. It shouldn't be we want to pay uh, pay rise. What we want is a fair pay that isn't actually a 30% decrease in uh, in pay in real terms in the last 10 years, which is what it actually is. Mm. So is that what's happened to medical regs for their locums compared to ED regs? Like ED regs, have they followed more closely to inflation than med regs? Like... Oh, don't start that now. Through sure. <laughs> <coughs> Why the drive-by, mate? Ooh. Come on. <laughs> Drop that mic. Drop that mic. <laughs> Shut well, up. We're all in it together. I think that's the thing. I think a really important take-home at the end of it all is it doesn't matter how bad we're feeling about asking for more money. Really, we're all in it together. All of us as a health service are getting screwed over. And we should be looking... Because we're saying we need to have fair pay doesn't preclude then the nurses having it's not a zero-sum game here they managed Mm. to find 37 billion to fund the test and trace system that called my daughter up four days after the uh, isolation period to say oh you should have been isolating for 10 days four days ago Uh, that ended four days ago I was like well what's the point of that (laughs) 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 we spent all of this money for this uh, so, you know, they can find the money when they want to. Um, and this, it, it, I, I kind of feel that this is a bit of a false argument that's being made amongst healthcare workers to kind of make sure we're fighting against each other rather than actually looking at the root causes of why, why pay is such an issue now. Who are really I mean, angry is, with, right? Interestingly, you know, Farbord, you, you, you used a phrase that I've heard a certain party use. We're all in it together. Tories, Whoa. isn't that what they use? I, 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 mean, didn't, I didn't see you as a Tory. You, you got to remember. You got to remember, right? Don't, don't, don't wash your mouth out, mate. You got to remember, right? Certain things, political slogans and things, are designed specifically that is very difficult to argue against, right? Yeah, absolutely. But as an example, Obama, classic political slogan: hope, 
Hope for change. Change. Who doesn't like hope? Who doesn't like change? Who is happy with how crap their life is right now that they don't want change? Who doesn't want hope? You against hope? Are you against hope? Um, you know, it, 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 this is why these things are picked up like that. We are in it all together because we are a national health service and we are the important thing is it's a socialized service so it, it we're all interconnected it's no good saying that oh well doctors will get paid and everyone else will like lose money or nurses will get paid and everyone else like drops their pay because actually the doctors can't do anything without the nurses the porters the cleaners the management this is one thing that always gets people annoyed but you know we need to have good managers as well that's really important the role of the manager um you know ambulance service all of this it's all interlinked we are one we are one body really and so we should really be arguing as that toward you know and pulling each other up and helping each other up no far, far but i'm just playing i'm just playing around with you i know you're not a tory i kind of i know i know of course yeah, yeah. anyway yeah Sorry. yeah i mean so, some people are more equal than others aren't they but anyway there's i mean speaking of this kind of like uh <laughs> that streamline you know you're talking about being in it together i like um did you see those tweets from Claire Gerardo, which was talking about the dissemination of work mm. from secondary care to primary mm. care? And then there were some interesting replies that I wanted to get into, which kind of may add some some de delicious context to that. But <laughs> delicious, <laughs> mwah, chef's kiss. But what did you guys think of it? Because they're, <laughs> they're, mwah, yes, but like, uh, did you see that thread? Because that. That was an absolute binfire. I mean, that was the kind of drama of today. Did you see it, or do you want me to tell oh. you about it, Gerard's thing? Why you why you remind us? Because obviously, yeah. not everyone who's yeah. not you know some of us use it as a yeah one to know. Yeah, go, so go Claire, so Claire Gerard, she uh, she's a prominent GP. If you look at her mm. bio, she's a, she does she's about forty two different roles. Um, one of them's a GP, uh, and she also does like really good, interesting <laughs> tweets about kind of like being a GP. And you know, I follow her. I think she's really interesting. But every so often, mm. she comes out with something. And today, she came out. Was it today or yesterday? She came out with something. Something, something really good which was basically about how she's yeah she was like talking about how they're like community house officers and basically getting tasked things from secondary care which she uh, thinks that well you know secondary care should be dealing with themselves and interestingly there were some replies from gps where they're talking about well you know we're asked to kind of send on referrals that seemed completely irrelevant and you know these things mm -hmm. that don't make any sense and surely if you're suggesting it that's something that you could act on because you know you, you're making a decision there and you know we're all mm -hmm. after what's best for the patient but then it kind of got a little bit tenuous because she was like you know people were saying what about like upturation of blood pressure medications she's like no you know you can do that yourself and stuff oh. yeah yeah i mean to with claire with claire, obviously i've got you know i've i've interacted with her once and i found her extremely extremely helpful for what was a very difficult point in my life and so it's a it's almost a shame to see her get you know get, take a bit of a twitter battering as it were isn't it you know she's sharing an opinion and i think it wasn't so long ago that she took a twitter break isn't that right and i just wonder whether She's under a lot of stress right now. You know, GPs are generally under a lot of stress, and maybe maybe this is where it's coming from. Because I'm I'm just trying to see it from her point of view. Like, why why that's... would you say something like that? It's so inflammatory. It's like you woke up and think I'm going to be violent today. That's what I'm going to do. Yeah, that's that's kind of what she's done, isn't it? She's but the thing is, mm. is that she's kind of doubled down with her replies, and I guess that's probably something that's never really that helpful on Twitter. But interestingly, mm. it, she she's, she's there been a few tweets like that. So very recently, there was a tweet from Naga Manchetti who's talking about a, a bad experience she had having a smear test. And how she basically mm. passed out, you know, from the pain, and lots of people were kind of chiming in with it. And then she kind of came back with, "Oh, it's not that painful," and you know, putting people off it. Which is, I mean, yeah, you probably are pe putting people off it. But I guess the conversation was about this kind of painful procedure. And I think sometimes the, that kind of nuance gets lost in her 
her, the messages that she's trying to get through. Mm. And I, nuance uh, yeah, is yeah. the term. And interestingly, nuance is the correct word. Indeed. In this sense. Because yes, actually, indeed. this is the problem with Twitter. Twitter is is the conversation we'd all love to have, which is all shouting and no listening. But unfortunately, what happens is, with the character count, that you can't put the caveats in place to say, I know it's not all hospital doctors that do this, uh, but it is a difficulty, mm. and we all are working together, and blah, blah, blah. But um, it's, it's, it is very difficult to get across tone as well. Like sometimes these tweets can be playful, mm. but it doesn't just doesn't come across, and the people who read it respond in such a way that it completely changes the tone mm. and the context in which it was meant to be said. So I think you've got to be very careful, and I think you always have to be very careful. And I think to be fair to Claire, um, she should have known better. She's in a prominent position, mm. and she should know that coming out with something like this, taking swipes at huge swathes of the profession at a time when we're all under so much pressure, was always mm. going to kind of incite such a backlash. Um, and yes, you're right to say, Imran, that there might be, and we never know the context in which these things start, and there might well be something going on in the background as well that we're not aware of mm. uh, and i'm sure there are lots of stresses as well but you know you have to you have to understand that you can't put these things out there without potentially causing a ruckus and you know this is what happens i mean you, i know we're talking about the the character counter uh, the, the letter count the character count is limited but you can always do a follow-up tweet and a follow-up tweet if you want to you know, exactly further it, yeah. contextualize what you're saying um, that's possible. So, you know, like, uh, yes, that's true. But, you know, what Thrush is saying that she kind of she doubled down a bit, you know, doubled down a bit. And yeah. it wasn't, you know, we're all, we're all, you know, like you said earlier, we're all in this together. Yeah. We're all trying to look mm -hmm. after the patients. And, you know, like I know from, from, I mean, from all of our points of view, like you, you do emergency medicine, you do the emergency care. How could you be expected to do the, the follow-up of the, you know, of something that mm -hmm. you, you did, you know? And actually, it reminds me of when I was actually in a &E, I had this pregnant lady who, who turned up and she had these lumps on her leg, these kind of rash on her legs, right? And so I, I, I saw her and, you know, obviously she was pregnant, so we were trying to be as careful as possible, trying to make sure she was okay. And everything, all the blood results came back normal. Everything came back normal. So I was like, look, you know, I, I'm afraid I can't find out why you've got a rash on your legs, but a rash on your legs is not something you really need to be in A&E for, but I think I managed to you know i've run past my seniors everything looks to be okay so i think you can go home and then um the gp can follow up the rash and then i got a complaint back because you know i i must have taken a blood culture or something at the time because she did mention something about fevers or something or she and so i thought i'd better be safe and um a few days later or however long later the blood cultures came back positive for something and she was told to get antibiotics as soon as possible and then this this person was upset with me saying that, you know, you, you didn't check the blood results. And I was like, well, I did. And then uh, thankfully for me, I always wrote the blood results on the on the margin so that mm. to make sure that I can show that, look, the only way I'm going to be able to show you that I've written, I've looked is because I've actually copied them out for you guys. But what was interesting to me is that like, the GP was also in on this complaint saying, well, you know, it's the A&E doctor's fault. They should have checked the blood culture. I was like, but that's impossible. It takes days for these things to come back, right? Mm. And it just became this to and fro for like ages mm. and then consultant had to get involved. And it, it's just a standard complaint I've always had. Like, we, we all like to be in it together, but when it comes mm. down to it, like, are we in it together when that kind of thing happens? When, you know, I we both know that it takes up a few days for that yeah. blood culture to come back. Why are you trying to kick up a fuss about this? Absolutely. I, th I think what happened here, Imran, is what was happening is people were trying to fight their corner and limit their culpability in a situation when actually there mm. was no individual culpability at all. It was the system mm. that was the problem. 
you know, I remember listening to Dave Chappelle talking about the end of apartheid in South Africa. Mm. I know it seems like a weird segue, but at the end of apartheid, um, it really should have ended in a bloodbath. Yeah. <laughs> it should have ended in an absolute bloodbath, what happened. But what, the, what mm. the reason it didn't go to the level of violence that it could have possibly done is because essentially when the ANC... Uh, won the elections and took over ruling and dismantled the system. What they did with the Truth and Reconciliation is say, look, everyone played their role from both sides, from the ANC and from the South African government side, and every single person, every aspect of it was compartmentalised. So we're not putting individuals on trial. What we're doing is we're putting the system on trial. We're going to show mm. how the system made it so that certain things could happen, certain bad things could happen. And yes, there were bad apples, but really what it was was a system that was designed to allow this oppression to occur. And because of that, mm. it then caused violence on both sides. Now, the point I'm making mm. with this is Making the complaint and saying it was your fault, Imran, is 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 facile because actually, guilting you about it isn't going to change anything. Interrogating mm. the system and looking at the processes that failed—that's where you actually learn uh, the lessons and actually mitigate it ever happening again. Um, but it's very difficult to do that when people are immediately on the defensive and turning around and saying, "Well, it's not my responsibility. It's not my fault." And I go, "Well, it's it, really it's no one's fault." Mm. That happens a lot in medicine, doesn't it? I mean, that yeah, absolutely. Like I was reading that book by uh, Matthew Said about uh, black box thinking which is interesting, kind of boring though, but um, it's a really good book about kind of like our attitude towards kind of errors and how we do focus on mm. individuals. And in some ways, I think that's kind of like, it happens everywhere, doesn't it? But um, I think mm. in some ways it kind of, uh, it's easier for kind of organizations to focus on an individual because it's way more kind of challenging to kind of like uh, to flip a table for culture, isn't it? Like, whereas if mm. you just kind of say, oh, this is that bad apple and off you go, then bosh, you know, that's the yeah. problem dealt with for them. And then you just paper over the cracks. Um, well, I think like one of the issues, I guess, is that uh, Claire, she has a massive following, doesn't she? And so mm. to be honest, mm -hmm. like no matter like even if I mean I think her tweets have been problematic and I'll probably mute her now I think but like um I think that when you have a big following you are going to upset people and we see examples of that throughout Twitter and one of the other mm. examples is Russell tweeting about the chair that they kind of fixed with tape and people took offense mm. to that you know and yeah like well you know it's a minefield out there mate people will be complaining about all kinds of stuff like so he kind of he uh, there's a chair that was kind of broken he taped it up and then they kind of picture you know just like jo jokingly just uh, put it out there and then people were like well i hope that tape is uh what, microbe free or something or fabric free it was just all really yeah. weird oh, God. Like, really can everyone just calm the f oh. down sometimes <laughs> you know like seriously guys Oh, yeah, seriously, folks. Team, team, team. Seriously, um, team. <laughs> but I think you know when Russell when Russell came onto our show, he did talk about it. Like, this is my you know my forum isn't an educational forum. Okay, it's just you know this is just a stream of consciousness and and that I guess you know he's funny, he's entertaining. That's why you're following the guy. You're not you're not sitting there trying to learn any. You know, you're, I mean, you might learn something, but no, you're not really there to learn about infection control from from that particular tweet. And I just think that sometimes someone has got some sort of authority somewhere, and they see the chance to use it. They're like, yes. I'm qualified in this area. 
I'm going to say something because I can. And just I'm going to show everyone. It's a bit like the jargon thing. I'm going to use lots of jargon to try and make myself seem like I know more than the next person, the next person. And I do mm. wonder whether a lot of that, you know, and we see it again and again and again, where like a problem just comes out of nowhere. Like I mean, to me, when I read, when I saw Russell's tweet, I saw no issues with it. Is that... Well, okay. So one of the, okay. Yeah. So one of the other threads that was kind of like really interesting was the topic of supervision. And there was two kind mm. of like polar opposites that kind of came up, uh, which were, I think, examples of good supervision, but also of really quite bad supervision. And so mm -hmm. let's focus on the uh, the bad one first so that we can end on a kind of good one, uh, which is that, uh, so there was um, this whole kind of process, which I think I've seen in colleagues where the uh, people perhaps aren't doing so well, but then really that kind of only gets communicated to a trainee in the form of perhaps reluctance to fill in assessments, which is a common problem anyway. So um, mm. so often it's not entirely that clear that that's the issue. And then by the end, the uh, people are like, well, well, no, like, you know, you're, you're obviously not going to make it and that kind of thing. And so like no, no kind of indication was made at the beginning or at the time. And it's just kind of left to the ARCP kind of period uh, to say, yeah, like you've obviously been struggling here. And so mm. that was, uh, do you notice, I mean, is that like a theme that you guys have kind of uh, uh, seen or, you know, familiar with? We've seen a lot of this. I mean, we, we talked to ARCPs last week, didn't we, Thrusha? And that mm. took, that got a big reaction i mean that's what i felt anyway how did you it was yeah, yeah. we weren't alone in this yeah. isn't it like the difficult arcps yeah difficult like situation um, arcps yeah so lynn miller was yeah. talking about how like there was one arcp where pretty much everyone but one of the trainees cried at the end i reckon the one trainee that didn't cry yes. uh, was probably a gooch trainee uh, you thought you thought i was gonna say intervention there to you but i'd definitely be crying <laughs> but like the gooch trainees then next level i don't know if you you know if you know gooch ones they're just kind of like they're different they like know everything so there's no way to cry because they'd be like i would not waste fluids on tears like they're just next level kind of people. <laughs> so that, i bet what I does bet that mean what is a gooch? What is it? What, oh, sorry, what, grown what, up what, congenital heart disease. So they're the cardiologists oh. who kind of are really good at understanding imaging, but also mm. embryology. And nobody understood embryology except those guys. Like mm, they, I yes. guess that bit. Yeah, so. yeah exactly. <laughs> me too, mate. Me too. So those are the guys mate, that understand I mean, embryology. Yeah. You should be afraid of those guys. So they wouldn't have cried. Right. So, but yeah, mm. we got such a crazy response. Have you ever had any bad? I find it really hard. I bet you are kind of a bit of a. Uh, a bit of a great student, Farbod. I bet you didn't have any. Yeah, they probably just high fived you in and high fived you yeah, out. Yeah, exactly. They, Medical history. You're about like, oh, this reminds me of the French Revolution. Blah blah blah. And like, oh. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that if anyone's listening from my previous ARCP panels, they're probably like snorting, you know, dripping fluid out of their nose. <laughs> how it came out? You're saying I was a good trainee. No, the part of the oh. problem with me is that I read too much stuff like French Revolutionary history. Um, <laughs> not enough of medicine, um, which ah. is why emergency medicine is perfect for me, because really all I need to know is the first five letters of the alphabet, and that's and that's pretty ah. much it. Um, ah. So I can spend the rest of my you know intellectual powers you know doing what I actually really enjoy, which is. Um, <laughs> you know, history, ancient history, uh, history of the 21st century and things like that. Um, mm. No, ARCPs were not straightforward uh, for me. I mean, we went through them all and there were issues, but the problem with the emergency medicine training program is it's very condensed. 
it packs mm. a lot. It's changed a lot since I finished, so I can't really uh, comment too much on what's going on right now. But I know that in six years, you know, we had five pretty hefty exams that we needed to get through. Um, you know, all sorts of different aspects. You know, crit critical appraisal and OSCEs and um, short answer questions. And there was a short answer question exam that we had to do, which was 180 points in 180 minutes. So essentially, you had a point a minute that you had to get through wow. 60 questions, each with three points. Mm. It was an almost impossible. And I used to be, when I was in school, I used to be the kind of person that would have finish a one hour exam in half an hour and just be able to like go through it and go you know, mm. really like dot the uh, dot the i's and cross the t's on my answers but these were very difficult exams and very few of the trainees that i knew finished within the six years most people would take an extra year out and do um, mm. an out of program year or um you know would have maternity leave or things like this and very i, I know in the cohort that finished just before i did there was only one trainee that finished within the six years all of the rest had extensions for various reasons so it oh, is wow. a very difficult training program and it used to have a very high attritional rate we used to have 50 plus percent uh, of trainees dropping out and going into doing other things uh, thank Thankfully, it's all changed because, you know, we listen to our trainees, uh, specifically in Wales, where I trained. Um, and we've we've adjusted quite a lot of stuff and we've made quite a lot of, um, how do you say, uh, modifications to the way that we behave and made it easier to go less than full time and all of these things that actually trainees have been asking for for years going through. Um, but now we've really created this mechanism where people don't have that that, that really horrible time pressure that a lot of ARCP uh, kind of anxiety uh, brings about. Um, and, you know, we, we've created mechanisms where people can ask for less than full time or out of program uh things or you know want to go and do a year for a portfolio job or whatever it is and it's become a lot more amenable and i think it's really benefited us mm. as a uh, school of emergency medicine here it sounded like you made the kind of prospect of working in em just more kind of manageable in terms of fitting mm, in absolutely we we know we know that training in emergency medicine the tr aside from the training just actually physically doing the job is really quite taxing the hours yes we don't mm. do one calls in that sense but the the you know the antisocial hours and the fact that you and again these are people who are in their mid-20s going into their 30s or people who are you know older coming into this this level of training and doing these ridiculous hours nights you know where you mm. don't get to sit down you might get a 20 minute break to scoff a sandwich or something like that and it takes its toll physically and yeah. you know if it takes if it's taking its toll physically it will take its toll mentally as well and then you're asking them to on top of that book their study leave book their annual leave and make sure you get all of these bits and pieces done in a very short time frame um, and six years sounds like a long time Except when you're doing all of your training on top of working full time in the emergency department, yeah. it is not mm. a very long time, and it and it flashes by. I mean, I think there is a bit of um. I think we all put ourselves under a bit of pressure because you always feel like I know that I felt like I was in a rush. I wanted to get to the end as soon as possible, and you know, I had a I had a few extensions, uh, as we have discussed. And I used to feel terrible when I got extended. Absolutely, like I felt like the wind had been punched out of me. But then looking back, like this is what I said before on a previous podcast, like I wish I enjoyed the journey more because mm. actually when you when you pulled away all the exams, all that stuff, I genuinely, genuinely did enjoy my job. And it's a shame mm. I didn't 
like make time to enjoy it more you know and extension here or there actually in the end didn't really mean all that yeah. much and i just couldn't understand at the time you know yeah i i really enjoyed i really enjoyed the last six months or so of my job when all of a sudden maybe more than that, maybe the last year or so that i was working because really i had done everything all of a sudden i was looking through my e-portfolio and i was mm. like oh I've, I've, I've done everything this is really weird. I don't need any more assessments. You know, I, <laughs> I could just, I was just doing the job for the love of the job. And then all of a sudden, like the, the, it came to me that, oh no, this is all going to change now. I'm going to have different responsibilities and my actual working practices are going to change. And it's only now that I've really, in a way, in the job, able to sit back and smell the roses. Or, well, you don't want to know mm. why I smell in the emergency department, but um, <laughs> you know, you, you get a chance to actually enjoy doing the clinical job that so, once you become a consultant suddenly gets paired away and you all of a sudden have these supervisory and management roles that you've got to fill. Mm. Well, some of my favorite bits of advice are usually from The Legend of Zelda. And, like, you know, uh, someone once said, like, you don't rush to the end of. The, the Legend of Zelda. You do all the side quests, and that's what life is. Right? Yeah, you don't absolutely. rush to the end. You should do some of the side yeah, quests. Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely, a hundred percent, a hundred percent agree. And yeah, if, yeah. I, if I look back now, um, it's a, it's a real shame I'd enjoy, I'd enjoy more of my training uh, and stuff. I, I really. Yeah, you're never gonna, you never know what you can potentially buy with all those crystals you get. Uh, yeah, exactly. As you go on <laughs> all the side quests, you know, you yeah, might be able to yeah. get that extra potion that makes the last. Yeah, yeah battle that much easier God. can i can i make a confession again i've never played zelda in my life no oh, way I never, yeah i've never played zelda in my life so this is gonna be another one like when i said i don't watch i never watched doctor who i'm gonna tell I, I never played zelda i don't see what the big deal is, is people it make good? i mean yeah well i think you've probably missed the boat for ocarina of time to really appreciate it unless they remaster it but breath of the wild on switch is one of the is the best game like i don't like um i don't spend a lot of time <laughs> at games anymore like with children and stuff it's very difficult but like yeah. breath of the wild i'll be like way Waking up at like two in the morning and being like, oh, I'll quickly try and play it because I just want it. Like it was such a good game. It's so That's good. That's crazy. Wow. I'm actually looking to get that for my son. You can't see I'm putting oh, uh, nice. uh, <laughs> air quotations. So I'm buying it for my son. <laughs> so, think, so, know, worth I, it. so you need to get two copies. <laughs> Really? Okay, well, I, maybe I'll get into it. But, you know, I'm, I mean, the last time I was into computer games, I used, play, I used to play a lot of Call of Duty. And I think I might have played a little bit too much because I remember leaving my flat and a helicopter was flying over and I suddenly thought I needed to go for cover. I suddenly felt that I needed to crawl. Get into defilading rain. <laughs> That's when I started realising this has messed with my mind now. I think I probably should just take it a bit easy. So then I ended up moving yeah. on to Rapstar. Do you remember playing Rapstar back oh, in the God. day? Oh, God. Yeah. I remember yeah, you man. playing that. That's not the type that. of thing I play. Yeah, yeah. Rapstar. Now, that okay. was a game and a half. So just yeah. bringing you Go back, on. bringing you back. So obviously we wanted to have the flip side of uh, supervision, mm. which was uh, a trainee who was talking about how her supervisor was just like really in tune with her, or at least it kind of was like picking up on things that she'd say. So she mentioned that perhaps she wasn't having that great time on, on EM, and so then he would kind of mm. like, and so I think that the things that kind of seem to come across from her tweets anyway, so she wrote a little thread, I really recommend it. I think it's her, her Twitter name's uh, girl.online. She kind of mentioned how he was very accessible and kind of made extra kind of supervisions to see her. And sometimes that can be a bit of a challenge, but I think that's mm. the thing, being accessible. My educational supervisor is very accessible by kind of like email and stuff, and he's always like at the end of a telephone and it, and I think that makes a massive difference I think that's proper supervision whereas I have mm. had supervision in the past which has been a bit more aloof and literally like the beginning and end right and that's the only time to kind mm. of really see them what do you think about that 
I, I mean, I, again, I, I was an education supervisor for a very, very short amount of time. Like very, I mean, I think I was an education supervisor for all of three months since when <laughs> I became a consultant. Because, it, yeah, it's, very, it's really bad. Like, I literally started and I thought, this would be awesome. I'm going to become an education supervisor. I'm going to try and make a difference. And then what ended up happening is I became in charge of the registrar rotor. And then, like, I just started getting hammered with loads of, like, politics and emails and complaints. And, and it, it was taken away from what I really like to do. I like to teach. I like to, like, try and, you know, I like mm. to teach. I like to, you know, make it easy for people to learn. And it, I found that being that situation didn't, wasn't any of those things. All of a sudden, I was dealing with emails from this person. Why is this person not turning up to this? Why is this person not on my session? If you're doing the rotor, I need to talk to you about this person because I don't think they're performing well. And it's like, man, like, you know... After a while, I said, this is really, I started getting unhappy. And that's, I, I, I per, I'm going to, I'm being honest, I started resenting the registrars all of a sudden because I started to feel as though every time I saw one, I thought, your work, you've now become work for me. I, I need to get away. Yeah. And then when I realized that, I thought, I think this is the wrong job for me. So I, I quit that. And actually, thankfully, I feel like life's got better. Like I can now kind of teach when I want to teach, you know, and if they find me, they want to learn. And there's none of this sort of emails and complaints and all this kind of stuff I have to deal with. And I, I think being, and this is what made me realize that being an education supervisor is hard. Like being a good one, I mean. I mean, it's hard, it's easy being a bad one. And I think maybe I, w I could have been better at mine. But um, being a good one is hard. And this person has tweeted it. Sounds like they had someone who's got a lot of emotional intelligence very very switched on and genuine genuinely interested in mm. you know the well-being of their trainee which is i think it's just unfortunately rare to find mm. you know like a full whack a full you know a full whack of these things trifecta single super person yeah mm. don't you think it's a um it's it's a difficult one because again mm. with that you don't want to infantilize people these are meant mm. to be trainees who are taking responsibility for their own education and their training. And really, as an educational supervisor, you're kind of there to steer them, but you're not meant to mm. do it for them. And I think mm. it's a very difficult line to uh, walk, uh, mm. because if you are too good at it in terms of the steering and actually guiding people through, all that's going to happen is you're going to get the troublesome trainees sent to you by the training program director. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm only kidding. But my my point is, it's a, it's a give and take, really. And it's it's it yeah. being an educational supervisor is not being a trainer. It's not being a teacher in that sense. It is understanding mm. the curriculum. It's understanding the responsibilities, um, making time for them, even if they're not making time for you. And mm. it does involve a little bit of. Uh, more oversight than potentially you would like to give and you have to be able to deliver criticism and you know write reports and everyone loves a great trainee there's nothing wrong with that no one like you know no one says anything about the trainees that come have a very clear idea of their goals they want to do during displacement you know and set them out and do it the ones that are real heart sinks are the ones where you keep trying to engage and say come on you know you need to be doing mm. this you need to get on mm. with this you know you need to apply for this exam and and then what happens is you get things like oh you know i didn't get the study leave i wanted and i go well did you apply for it in time no and i go mm. well what do you expect you know mm. and now these are one of the goals that you were meant to achieve during this time and you haven't and really mm. that's on you 
And then you have to write mm. that in a report. And like I said, the difficult ones are the ones where you actually have to generate a whole bunch of paperwork to demonstrate what's happening. And then, you know, you get to ARCP and you have to sit down and go, have we given this this trainee enough support so that if mm. the worst comes to the worst and we give them the outcome for and basically kick them off the training program, do we have enough evidence to demonstrate that, you know, we've done our best uh, mm. at every stage because they, they can, and they always will, they'll always turn around and challenge those decisions and they're well within their rights to do so. Um, mm. It's a very difficult and often thankless task. So it's actually quite nice to read the tweets that this person properly appreciated their educational supervisor. Um, mm. And, you know, we can all aspire to that, but it's not a role that everyone can fulfill. Just to give the other side of it, like, I mean, certainly, like, I, I was always a trainee. I was probably that trainee, actually. You found it hard to get kind of, like, study leave and whatever. And one of the reasons for that was that I found it very difficult to put myself forward. You know, a lot of the time, mm. like, I, I felt like when you applied for study leave, for example, it was this kind of, like, I remember as an SA chair, Anyway, there's this kind of weird process where you'd like sign of you'd like need to find the dates, which invariably meant you'd have to like swap, mm. do some swap, like three way swap, or whatever. And then you'd have to like find the find a course or, or what? It, say if it was for a course or something, then you like pay for the course. You send something, some approval to this person. They have to sign mm. it, and then they send it back to you. And the mental like factoring that into just also on top of like going to work for me, I'd be like, whatever. I just would. Mm, and yeah. like I'd turn up and I turn up and I I was always like I was I was always hard. People always be like shaking their heads at me, being like, you know. You just like you know, you do so much work on the work ward and stuff. Like, why aren't you doing mm. the audits? Why don't you? Why aren't you doing these extra mm. things? And I honestly just felt like, you know, because it was for me, like I could kind mm. of si I could sideline that. Nobody complain about me sidelining that. Whereas yeah. with your work, mm. like people will notice when you don't turn up to work and you don't do those things. Mm. People like so I do those really well, I and mean, you get feedback on it. Whereas the only times mm. you ever get feedback on your own personal development would be those end think, uh, meetings, and yeah. you're like, oh yeah, mm. yeah. We should facilitate. Um, all, it should make it a lot easier for trainees to do that and I think that's why the educational agreements are so important at the start of um, placement they actually sit down and go through that these are my responsibilities I will do my best for you as your supervisor mm. but you also need to make sure that you are hitting these targets and for me it was always saying look I know what these bits and pieces are and it's very difficult to read it all but actually just put it down on an A4 sheet of paper and put tick boxes because at the end of it you need to make sure you have ticked these boxes um, to make sure that you go through or like, have the best chance of going through. I, I just think that maybe, I mean, from my point of view, I, I think, or for anyone who's thinking about becoming an education supervisor, I think maybe it's something, I don't know what you guys feel like, I do think maybe you should be a bit more senior yourself before you do something like that. Because I think when I took it on, I was already finding uncomfortable that people were calling me their consultant. Yeah. So then I was getting, you know, and every time I told my my tra my trainee quotation marks, sorry about that, but <laughs> yeah, the, my my colleague trainee, like every time I told them, oh, just call me Imran, they're like, no, I can't do that. And I was like, but why? I've just told you to call me Imran and stuff like that. Mm. So I started noticing that there was there was it was always a bit of like um, a barrier that I didn't I wasn't entirely comfortable with at this point in my career, you know. And I, I do wonder whether it maybe it was just too much too soon. For someone who's not entirely, you know, confident person anyway, and then let alone be a consultant who's not entirely confident being in a quotation mark consultant and then being an educated supervisor as well. So I wonder whether this person who is the education supervisor that is doing this, uh, who's done what sounds like a remarkable job, must be quite experienced and, you know, like we said already, like got a fair bit of emotional intelligence and a few things that are very much working in their favour to make them make such a big mm. difference to a trainee that they're going to tweet about him. I and that's that's quite a big accolade. 
you know for me if someone tweeted something like that about me i'd, I'd think i'd take that over a, a thank you letter and a box of chocolates thank you very much <laughs> all right definitely screenshotting that and putting it into the cpd yeah exactly exactly maybe apply from c maybe apply for some ca points with uh, with something mm. like that hey eh? <laughs> <laughs> um so should we um, through should, should we move on to the voice note? Or is there yeah. is there anything else? You... No, 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 that's good. We do have a voice note from Coyote, and he uh, he he's very kindly contributed something for us to talk about. And so occasionally we'll have someone who who sends something through us. And so let's have a quick listen to this and uh, see what we all, all make of it. So I'm just going to play it through the the microphone now. Hi guys, and. Welcome to the newest segment of Two Medics One Mic called Kaede's Corner. Like both of a K, I'm joking. Um, so I said I'd sent an OE recording to ask you guys a really, really deep and profound question. Um, and it's sort of related to my Twitter, but also like kind of related to personal life and stuff. So I've got this friend, right, who I think is really, really cool but their friends are absolute tools like like some of their friends are just like honestly the worst people in the world like in my opinion and then there are other people like in my year group who i think are really really nice and really cool but then when i see their um the people that they are associated with i'm just like there must be something really really wrong with you that i'm not noticing so i just end up not being close to them or trying to get to know them because i don't because i do not want to deal with nonsense so i guess my question is so i'm going to bring this to med twitter and all that stuff i see a lot of people who i think are just not great people and i was wondering like how do you how do you like reconcile like all the I guess you can bleep this out fuckeries with the people like how like how do you decide who you're going to interact with because like Twitter is a really is a really really wild place and there are lots of really really wild people who do lots of really really wild things and I am just very very quick to block and mute and whatnot but I see people who that I've blocked or muted and they are in the comments or mentions of people i think are cool so just like how do you reconcile all that information um i feel like i rambled on a little bit and i feel like like i probably didn't make that much sense but i feel you're able to translate so, okay, so i think we got translate. it we don't need to translate for that i mean we, we understood what he's saying right like yeah. um, you can tell he's you know, in scotland so, can't you because he used the word we <laughs> Oh, I did not notice yeah, that. Yeah, I did yeah. not notice that. Oh, he's picked it up, has he? Mm. All right, there you go. Um, okay, so um, how do we deal with these things? Yeah, Farboard, go for it. Like, um, you've been on Twitter a fair, a fair while. You've interacted mm. with a few people over the years. I feel like you've got a very kind of, you've got like a, a you know, I really respect your kind of moral compass. Like, you, you speak about things. Oh, that's very kind of, of you. Um, yeah, so I'm interested to know what you think. Uh, well, I will, I will read a short fable from Esau, <laughs> if you don't mind. Yeah, of course. Yes. <laughs> this is why we love Farbod. Fables, do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, a man wished to purchase an ass and agreed with its owner that he should try out the animal before he bought him. He took the ass home and put him in the straw yard with his other asses 
upon which the new animal left all the others, and at once joined the one that was most idle and the greatest eater of them all. Seeing this, the man put a halter on him, and led him back to his owner. On being asked how, in so short a time he could have made a trial of him, he answered, I do not need a trial. I know that he will be just the same as the one he cho chose for his companion. The moral being, a man is known by the company he keeps. Hmm. But is that does that does that translate to Twitter world? Does it? No, do you it think? absolutely does not. But I think it does <laughs> translate to the real world. <laughs> Twitter is a is a weird thing, though. <laughs> yeah, what does Aesop know? Um, Twitter is a different Twitter is a different thing, okay? Uh, because yeah. not every tweet and interaction is shown on your timeline, so you can always have like this little. You, you think you might have an understanding of someone and seeing them and then see their tweets and go, oh, that's funny or, you know, that's good, I'll retweet. I agree with that. Yeah, I'll retweet that. And then someone might call you up on it and go, oh, God, you know, you know this guy, he, he does this mm. or says that or whatever. And you're like, oh, well, I'm not, I've never seen that. It's, it's a difficult mm. one. I think if you know someone in reality, in, in the real world, outside of the Twitter sphere, and that does exist, by the way, people who are listening. Uh, there are people outside <laughs> that exist outside of the function of Twitter. No, don't um, believe it. Don't yeah, believe it's, it. it's outrageous scenes. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. Um, but <laughs> if, if they are hanging out with people who are reprehensible, then you've got to wonder, at some, you know, at, at some deep level, this person must find some kinship with these people. And if you are mm. saying that this person that they're hanging out with is the worst person in the world, then that's, that's some, that's a, for me, that's a huge warning sign. On Twitter, I think it's different. I think, like I said, you, you, may, you don't mm. get a rounded understanding of people, which is part of the reason why I started the Echo Chamber podcast, because actually understanding the people behind the profiles is so... For me, it's really important because you think you understand people, mm. you think you know them, but actually, until you hear them speak in a long-form discussion, you can't get the nuance about who they are, what they are as a mm. person. So Twitter is a different thing, but I think, as Coyote is saying, from the impression I got from the recording, this was someone he actually knows and interacts with in reality, mm. and I and I would seriously question if the people that they are hanging out with are that horrible then you know, there's got to be some sort of, in the Venn diagram of friends, there's got to be some sort of overlay there. Um, and yeah. you've got to question whether you want to, uh, you want to um, interact with that person, if you want that kind of energy in your life. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like, I mean, I see what you're saying. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, if they're hanging around with people that you don't, I mean, it, there's always going to be levels of like, you know, when someone says, I don't like someone, you, there's levels of I don't like someone, right? Mm. You know, there's levels of like, you know, if you say someone's a horrible person, there's levels of horrible person. I mean, there's some things that are just, you know, ir ir like rep reprehensible and there's some things that I just don't, I don't really get what they're about. I don't really get their vibe. But, you know, and so I guess it depends on which area of that sort of um, uh, that disagreement that you may fall into. But generally speaking, I found that um, even with the people that I... I found difficult over the years or I found that oh, they, they do have something about them because you know what well, don't you ever don't you ever wonder like okay think about the person that you think is the worst person ever they're still like a mum or a dad mm. with kids who love them and sisters and mums and stuff so there must be something about them that's you know their family sees or someone else sees like it's rare for someone to be so like downright bad to the core 
I don't and know. So then it's just a question, not really about good or bad. It's about do you can you vibe with them? There, is there some level that you can vibe with them, right? Yeah. And, you know, I've I've vibed I've vibed with people that I know are are, are are like morally not the same same. We're not in the same place. We're just not right. Mm. And they'll do a whole load of things that I just don't agree with. And I know they're thinking a whole load of things that I don't agree with. But we vibe. It's cool yeah. because. I know what they're about. They know what I'm about, but we can still have a conversation. We can still have a bit of a good time. We both know that we're entertainment for each other on some level, and we just move on. It's okay. So I yeah. guess it depends. I don't know. That's my that's my feeling about that. I think I would say yeah. that um, you know Joseph Fritzl had a wife and kids, mate. You know, it, <laughs> the being having being married and having kids is no marker of of decency or goodness. I, I, mean, I think. I, um, I know. I, say, I know. There's extremes. There's extremes. Is what I'm saying. But, you know, <laughs> I know. I know. I know yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Because like everyone's a hero in their own story, and so I guess like mm. they think to themselves or whatever they're doing right. But I guess I mean there's something that I think about a lot. Is I thought it's a really interesting question, um, and mm, it is. and I think also because I can be kind of adversarial, and then, you know, like Imran will know well that there's sometimes there are sometimes where I've just fallen out with people, and but and I think with Twitter, I think Farbod's kind of said that you. You only get kind of like one facet of a person and I think as I've gotten older maybe I don't know or maybe it's just maybe the way I'm kind of like leaning today I think it, I think um, people can grow right and you hope that kind of people can change and get better but also as you say I mean you don't have to be like a perfect match with other people um, mm. and to get on but I guess the other thing that he's kind of driving at though is, is that some people have actively like harmful kind of opinions I guess mm. and I guess mm. He's uh, and so the perspective he's coming from, or at least the way I interpret, is of like self protection, and mm. sometimes I guess if if you're um I think I think he's right to kind of like think about protecting yourself and not having harmful people around you, and perhaps mm. by extension maybe you don't know those people so well that you've got around you, so maybe from that perspective you should protect yourself and insulate yourself from that unpredictability that there's that there is there mm. because there's that unknown. But it's really difficult. It's really difficult um, because as you say, mm. like um, people and um, people change. I just kind of, I often think back, and one of the things I think to myself is like, if I met myself as like a 16 year old, I mean, obviously I'd be freaked out by the fact that I don't have hair, but like the other thing I'd be like, I'd be like, you're so different, you're so different now, and I, <laughs> 16 years old, I had, I was very kind of like moralistically, like, I, and um, I'm not to say that that's something that you grow out of, that's, that's certainly not what I think, but I, I definitely felt that like, as time's gone on, like friendships and stuff are so fragile, and sometimes mm. being like really rigid about this is what I'll accept and this is what I don't accept you end I find, I think I just don't think I'm in that place anymore where I can kind of cut people off just like that but you know I think mm. I respect I respect it I, I like the kind of uncompromising attitude but I don't think it's mm. quite where I am and, I, and in, a, in a way that makes me feel a bit lame but that's kind of where I am but with Twitter I think like there's a fair bit of rubbernecking if that makes sense mm. like you can have like why why was everyone following Donald Trump? If he's so unpopular, why did he have so many followers on Twitter? And I knew I had good friends who followed Donald Trump, you know, and they've got they don't want to have anything to do with him, they don't like him, they don't like his politics, but they followed him on Twitter. And it's because it's entertainment, isn't it? It's, yeah, but that's that's retweet does not include does not uh, equal endorsement. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But in fact, 
Trump and Boris Johnson are kind of perfect examples because people would follow mm. him as kind of like a joke, like, oh, this is hilarious. But then in some ways that kind of enamored, like that kind of enabled them to kind of like, mm. it, and so it kind of fed back and you kind of like, in you've encouraged that kind of toxic behavior. So in some ways that's a great yeah. example of how we've facilitated that by kind of being like, oh, it's harmless and then kind of let it in. Mm. So I think that's where it starts to become really complicated, doesn't it? Like, oh. It does, doesn't it? But Twitter's just like that, isn't it? Like it it's, <laughs> yeah, Twitter's just it's like, like that. That's true. It, well, it's true. It's like a, it's a, a simplification of very complex things, isn't it? A complex conversation, mm. a complex society, a complex people are trying to be simplified in what we have. And it's why we have so many of these run-ins, right? Mm. It's why we have so many of these issues that come about. Um, but yeah, it's a great question. Um, to be honest, I'm just in awe of anyone that's got time for friends and new friends. Like, who are these people? What are they doing with it's their time? It's hard work, time? isn't it? My goodness, it's hard work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, is I think uh, uh, Dave Norman he did a he did a tweet that kind of sums it up, which is the being a horrible person and then being wrong about something, and you know that Venn diagram. And he said that yeah, there's that bit on the side where you don't have to necessarily be horrible and be wrong, like sometimes you know. And I think there is room for that's growth. That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Anyways, wow. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, we've hit. Uh, yeah, we've hit time. So I guess um, Farbod, thank you so much for. Well, I mean, first of all, you let us on your podcast, which is yeah. quite the privilege. Where we ended up talking about ourselves for a change, and we uh, we relayed a few stories of um, uh, certain thought stories about Thrusha, yeah. you know, not wearing as many clothes, and then Thrusha decided to volunteer more stories of not wearing clothes in the gym and being wet with other with other muscular men well, there you go <laughs> there you go uh, <laughs> i think i think that little end to our podcast shows that how like having farbod on has just had to increase our iq by about 20 points to just kind of get us up to his level well hold on. You, you, you sound like you're wrapping up here are you telling me that i'm not going to have time to read my latin poetry <laughs> <laughs> um Evasive maneuvers! Evasive maneuvers! Yeah. <laughs> run to the pod! Run to the pod! <laughs> That's right. I'll keep. I've got. A, I've got a one. I've got a. I've got some poetry in high German. I'll save for the next time. It's fine. Oh, nice. Well, nice. Why don't we save it? Why don't we save for the next time we have dinner in London? Why don't we do that? Oh, Absolutely. Nice. I'll, I'll listen to your poetry. I'll listen to your poetry. Go. For oh. it. Cool. Well. Um, well, one, one small announcement. I did do the announcement last week, but we're going to try and go ahead, keep going with what we're doing with Ajay. Um, every Monday evening, about eight o'clock, we're going to do a Twitter space. Uh, we're going to call it Med Twitter Monday on Call. It's just a chance for, uh, you know, there's only so much you can say on a podcast and only so much you can say on a tweet. And it's just nice to be able to talk to each other. And, you know, sometimes you'll have someone that needs to talk to someone, you know, and it wasn't so long ago that we did have someone of Med Twitter that really needed help. And we saw quite nicely that the whole of Med Twitter uh, really got behind uh, behind this person and tweeted and DM'd and hopefully made a difference. And when they came back and tweeted back, they said that it did make a difference for them. So it's nice to know that there we do have our differences, but we do have a community of sorts that, has ha that we have. And I think it'd be nice to try and maybe talk to some of you guys live uh, as well. So Monday evening, eight o'clock, please feel free to come down. Ajay is going to organize that for, for everyone and we can hopefully get have a chat. So anyway... Have a great week. Thank you so much for listening, as always. Really appreciate it. And we'll see you next week for some more, more fun. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Sorry, folks. Sorry, team. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, bye. And you've been listening to Two Medics and One Mike with Imran Lasker and Darusha Gawadna. Thank you for listening.